Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before Jesus dawn, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's hard, isn't it, to step out of the boat, to try something new, to meet someone new. We're trying this neighboring thing, Um, to join a new community or to include someone new into our community. We kind of make fun of Peter sometimes. I know I have. We point fingers at him and shake our heads. And say under our breath, Peter, 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 what were you thinking? It's so easy to sit in the boat and poke fun. Especially when someone is brave enough to risk it and then fails. Um, There's that part of us who becomes junior high kids sometimes when that happens. and, And we make fun. But the real hero of this story in my mind, is Peter. Is Peter. He had the guts to step out of the boat. He tried it. He had the guts to risk it. I was talking to one of our new members from Bear Creek the other day, and I I asked her to share with me just what it was like to come to Bear Creek United Methodist Church for the first time. And she hadn't been to church for four or five years. She had quit going. She talked about her emotions and her fears, about how hard it was for her to overcome them and actually enter the church. She said she sat in the car in the parking lot for 15 minutes, 15 minutes, wishing that she would have brought her dog. That way, she could just go to a park and watch the church service online. (laughs) She wouldn't have to go in. But she finally got the courage to get out of her boat and walk across the waters into our church building. She shared with me how stormy that walk was. She was bombarded with doubts and fears. Time and time she thought about turning around. Now that sounds a lot like our story. Right? 
a lot like Peter, walking out under the waters towards Jesus, towards healing, toward community, towards a place of grace, walking into a new challenge like that, that takes a lot of guts. Darren Danner is with us today. He remembers that walk the first time he went to an AA meeting. He shared with me that the first meeting was the hardest thing he had ever done. Hardest meeting to go to. That's why his AA group, they they don't give out coins just for three months or six months or 24 hours or a year or two years. They give an AA coin out to everyone who comes for the first time. Darren loves to do that because he remembers what it's like to be there for the first time because it's that hard. It's that first time of walking out on the water to something better, something greater, something you really need but you really maybe don't want. That's so hard. I don't know why. We, we humans are funny that way, but we'd rather sit in the boat even if that boat has a whole bunch of holes in it and is harming us. Even if the boat is dysfunctional, even if the boat isn't life-giving, instead of walking out of the water towards something new, groups, dysfunctional groups, dysfunctional families, they're hard to break out of. They have an energy that sucks you back in. Hard to break it. One of the things I appreciate about this gospel story today is the truth that it tells about breaking out into something new. That that journey often tends to be one we have to do part, at least, alone. Like Peter. There are parts of our journey that won't happen unless we go it alone. Unless we take the initiative and leave our place of comfort. These last couple of months, we've been asking you to begin a journey of reaching out and inviting a neighbor into your life, to invite someone new to coffee or dinner at your house. And today, I I would just want to acknowledge that there are a lot of doubts and fears that go along with that. We could name a few, right? In fact, we might have already decided not to do it, even when we brought it up. That's not for me. That's not for me. Done that before. But I want you to work past that. And do your best. Walk out in that water. Walk out in that water. Now, I grew up in a family that wasn't great at hugging. Any of you have have good hugging families? I don't know. Mark, you're with me on this. Oh, my gosh. Um, My father was kind of strange that way. He hugged everyone at church, but with his own family, or maybe it was just with the boys, he withheld. It was always a handshake. You know, a handshake came out, and it was a warm handshake for sure, but not a hug. And when he died, our family, I think I can say this honestly, we we drifted apart. We're talking about grief, right? Well, we drifted apart. We didn't know how to talk about it. Um, and we didn't know, we didn't want to talk about it, to be honest with you. We, we scattered. I always say we kind of lost 
uh, the hub of our wheel. Our dad was the hub. And we were like Humpty Dumpty. Without that wheel, we just didn't know how to put the pieces together, so we just kept scattered. And unfortunately, that's a common grief story. There's a distance with grief, a divide. Maybe why, that's why this story that I, I just heard um, means so much to me when I heard it. Uh, it's a story on a podcast called Heavyweight. And it's a story called Cody. I'll link, I'll link it in our newsletter letter next week. Um, Cindy brought me out to this, this podcast. Thank you, Cindy. Um, Cody lost his mother when he was in eighth grade. He loved his mom. She was the only real central figure in his life. And she was like being around a giant hug all day, all the time. And as a five-year-old, he remembered climbing on the couch with her. And she'd be on her side with her legs curled up, and he would just kind of hide in that cleft. He loved to be there, you know, hide in that cleft in the shelter of his mother's wings. His mother sewed him a blanket full of bunnies, and he carried it around like Linus in the Peanuts comic strip. But in eighth grade, his mom had knee surgery, and after the surgery, simple surgery really, she developed a blood clot, and that blood clot went to her lungs, and she died. Cody remembers going to the hospital when he had heard the news, and as soon as he entered the room, I mean, they hadn't told him that she was dying or dead, and he just knew as soon as he walked in that room, that she was gone. And from that moment on, his family wasn't really a family anymore. Here's how he describes it. My mom was the glue. When she died, we all drifted in different directions. We just didn't know how to talk to each other. So I just receded into my own little room and did my own little thing. I just wanted to be left alone. Boy, did those words hit me. But life goes on. Cody tried to return to some sort of normal life, if there is such a thing after a loss like that. He was a football player, so that summer he went to preseason football practice. Now, this wasn't easy for him, especially because he was now in high school and had a new team and a new coach and a new building to get used to. One day, Cody was lifting weights in the high school weight room down in the basement, if you remember those rooms. And when Cody... Uh, one of the players came up to Cody and said, Hey, uh, Coach wants to talk to you. Coach Walling wants to see you. Now, he thought immediately, did I do something wrong? I think I would probably feel the same way. Um, but here's how he describes what happened next. I remember walking out, and I don't remember if he said anything or if there was a lead-in. I don't think there was. But the thing I remember was Coach Walling just reached out and just hugged me so tightly. Uh, I just felt like I was wrapped in care. Since my mother's death, no one had done that, just that. There was some kind of fake hugs, side hugs. But when Coach Walling hugged me, he was basically a stranger. I felt like he was hugging me with his heart. I remember it so strongly. I felt safe for the first time since my mom died. I get teary-eyed just thinking about it because I was, it was something I just really needed without even knowing it. I felt 
like somebody cared. Now here's the thing. Shortly after that hug, Coach Walling took another job at another school. This happens, right? Cody never saw him again. But the hug and the power of that hug changed Cody. From then on, Cody said, he started hugging all the time. He started hugging other people. He became the guy who would hug his friends where they were having a bad day. Even if they didn't like it, he'd do it. There are always a few things you're going to remember in your life, he said. Your kids being born, your marriage. And for me, it's that hug. That hug. That agape love moved Cody out of the boat and back into the water. Now this story doesn't end there. Cool story. The podcast host was able to get a hold of Coach Walling. 40 years afterwards, 45, 50 years, must have been even more than that. They called him and Cody and this coach, who is now 70, got to talk about this hug. Now there's always a little bit of a danger of that, right? Maybe coach doesn't even remember it, right? Uh, but immediately, Coach Walling knew who it was on the phone. Immediately, he remembered that hug because he said it wasn't something he usually did. He wasn't a hugger. It wasn't even something he was thinking of doing. He was just going to kind of shake Cody's hand and kind of pat him on the back and say, hey man, hang in there. I lost my mom too because Coach Walling had lost his mother and knew the pain. But there was something about that pain and there was something about Cody's heart that just moved him into giving him a hug, something he never did. And he said, that hug changed him. He started realizing how powerful that was, and he started to break down that macho culture of football players, and he started giving real heartfelt hugs too. Something happens to us when we risk because of what I call the pull of God. Did you hear God in that story? Pulling that coach to hug and pulling Cody out of the boat. When we risk getting out of our boat of comfort and we walk out into the water. You know, when I think of Peter's story, I wonder how much it meant for him when at that moment, when he fell and dropped into the water, that Jesus was there to reach down and pull him up. Just like that hug stayed with Cody and Coach Walling, when we show compassion to someone else and are there for them in their deepest moment of need, that moment of mercy and, of mercy and kindness sticks with both parties. That moment marks us. Now, it doesn't have to be a hug, by the way. I think you've heard this story from me before if you've been around long enough, but... It's one of my favorite stories. Tom Bodette is a Motel 6 commercial guy. He says, we'll keep the lights on. He tells this story that starts with his lousy relationship with his dad. Now, I didn't have as bad a relationship as Tom did, but I think we all have a little bit of this in our relationships. 
And he shares that his dad checked out of his life when Tom was a teenager. His dad would just come home, pop a six-pack of beer, plop in front of the TV, sit in his lazy boy, and just mumble and grumble about how terrible the world had become. And the worst thing was that when you came home after his dad got home, you would have to pass between dad and that blasting TV. Tom Bodette shared that he used to wonder which was worse, his dad noticing him and jabbing him with a negative comment about his hair, or his dad not noticing anything at all. And in the end, he decided that it was definitely his dad not noticing to walk by there and not even be noticed, not even be seen. And so as a teenager, Tom Bodet found that the best way to be noticed by his dad was to do something his dad didn't like. I've done this. <laughs> his dad hated ketchup. He was in the war, and there was something about ketchup in the war. And so when they would eat, Tom would smother everything he ate with ketchup, just so dad would notice. And when he went to college, he tested through the charts on spatial thinking. He should have been an engineer. Everybody was telling him that, but his dad was an engineer. And so what better way to get dad's attention but to be a literature major. <laughs> that would really tick dad off, right? And then, since his dad was super conservative, he was a John Bircher, if you remember those days, and he knew his dad hated hippies, why not grow your hair long, drop out of school, head to Oregon, and all of the other blankety-blank tree huggers, as dad used to call them. Now, while in Oregon, Tom Bodette got drunk one night, probably more than one night, and he climbed up this power pole because someone had cut off their electricity in this cabin that they were sitting on. And... Uh, Nobody told me he should have used a 30-foot wood pole. So he climbed all the way up there and pulled with his hand and connected electricity. Ah! He was electrocuted, and he actually, he said he died for a while. And his arm was just burned, as you can imagine. And while he's in the hospital, guess who shows up? Mom and Dad, of course. And while the nurses were cleaning his wounds and he had to bite on a towel so as not to scream in pain, he looked over in his corner of his eye and there was his dad sitting in a smug chair smoking a pipe. This was a while ago. You could smoke in hospitals. And his dad didn't say a word. But in Tom's eye, he said, that pipe was so smug, you know. He just knew that his father was sitting over there, just rubbing him in and saying under his breath, I told you so, Tell, uh, tell, telling him to cut that long hippie hair and just come back home. and Maybe you could get back in engineering school. So finally, mom and dad left. Of course, Tom did not go with them. He refused to go. Eventually, though, he started planned for a trip to Alaska, and he got to go to Alaska. I don't know how many of you have been to Alaska. I have not been, but um, he always wanted to go through the Inside Passage, which is amazing, they tell me. And he noticed as he was coming down the stairs one day, as he was planning all this, that there was a letter in his mailbox at his apartment. I was coming down the stairs in my apartment. There on the bottom step 
where, 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 uh, where they put our mail, there was this letter sticking out. And I picked it up, and I immediately knew who it was from. It was from Dad, because he was so neat. He was an engineer, and he made these, these words just perfect on the page. Um, and he said, I didn't want to open that thing up, but I did. Because I thought, here's what my dad was going to say. Oh, yeah, I know what that, this is. It's no son of mine is going to live out, on, out his life as a tree hugger in Oregon. You get your butt home now, or, and your mother's worried sick about you. All this kind of stuff was going through his head. He didn't want to open it, but he finally opened it. And here's what it said in very neat words on graph paper of all things. You know, engineers. Dear Tom, I watched you in the hospital as wounded as any soldier in battle. And I watched you handle it with such strength and such courage. And I just wanted to tell you how proud I am of you and that I love you. And I hope you take care of yourself. Now, Tom goes on to say, I was never able to tell my dad how much that letter meant to me. We never learned how to talk with each other. And I want to say to you, if you haven't, try, will you? Try. But he said, I made it out to Alaska that next year, and I was on the boat going through the inside passage, and it was pretty stormy, and it wasn't a great big boat like we know now. This was back a while. And on about the second day of this trip, you go through this place north of Juneau called the Lynn Canal. And there are these mountains on each side of the passage that, you go, that go into the water. And it's like the proverbial gate to the north. You look through that gate and all you see is mountain range after mountain range after mountain range. And there's this wind that comes down out of there. And this deep-throated howl as you smell ice, even in July. And it smells dangerous. It smells like, I mean, you don't know if this place is going to make you or this place is going to kill you. I mean, I had no idea that every adventure I ever imagined, every reward that I, was, uh, I could ever imagine lived through that gate, through the inside passage. That was my whole wonderful life ahead of me. And I was scared to death. And I clutched that railing on the bow of that boat, and I went through the passage. And the only thing, he says, that gave me strength to do that was that piece of graph paper on my hand, holding on to the rail. And I looked up to the heavens and I said, Did you see me, Dad? Brave as any soldier? Maybe not. Maybe not. But brave enough. I think Peter carried the story of Jesus pulling him out of the water like Tom carried that piece of graph paper. And like Cody carried that hug. It gave him shelter and called him to offer that same shelter, that same grace to others in his life, throughout his life. What letter, what hug, what story are you carrying? May God give all of us the grace to seek shelter in the grace of Christ 
but also to walk out of that boat and share it with someone else. How, how expensive is it to give a hug? How hard is it to write four sentences on a piece of graph paper? We can be grace. We can give shelter. Cassie's going to come up and sing a special number called Shelter Me. And I want to give this um, in honor and memory of those who have, we have lost in the Ukrainian war and also in the Israeli-Gaza conflict, but also for any of you and any of us who need shelter. of my unbelief. 